Amen. Good morning. Y'all can grab a seat as we make this transition. So, hey, my name's Dylan. I'm a pastoral resident here at the branch. Um, Gabe is at, actually at Mercy Hill preaching this morning. Uh, Mercy Hill is a church that um, has been adopted into our church planning network that we recently started. And so he is preaching this morning. I'm here. And so part of the the vision for the branch is to plant 10 churches in 10 years by multiplying disciples every two. And so part of that is giving people like me and Peter and Daniel and Ricky and others opportunities to come up and preach. Uh, so this is uh, my morning to preach. So uh, we've been in Luke for three years and we finished uh, about three weeks ago. And so now we're uh, in a series called the Attributes of God. So we're going through the Attributes of God this morning. Um, and I, yeah, so when the preaching team got together to determine who was preaching on what attributes, um, so I, I was throwing my name in for like, you know, holiness and sovereignty and things like that. And then Gabe was like, no, you should do the Trinity because that's going to, you know, stretch you more. Stretch me, it has. So let's pray and ask for some help, okay? Father God, thank you for this day. Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity to come up and uh, to proclaim your name. Father, I just pray that your spirit would move here this morning, move in us and through us. Um, some of these doctrines of, or this doctrine of the Trinity, of who you are as a triune God, is difficult and a bit mysterious. Um, but Father, you have made it clear to us that it is true and it is right and it is good. And so Father, I just pray that you will help us see and to perceive and to understand uh, you know, how you are the Trinity and how that came to be and how that affects us every day. So, Father, I just pray that this morning that we will behold the glory, your glory, we will behold you as we study the Trinity, as we move through um, how that affects us every day. And, Father, again, I just pray that uh, you will help us understand and perceive and that you will just move in our hearts. Uh, as we behold your glory, we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. And, Father, I just pray again that everything that we do this morning that will glorify you and honor you and all that you do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are covering the Trinity. Uh, some of you are probably shifting in your seats a little bit, because it's like, this is a pretty mysterious and difficult doctrine, and I wrestled with it a lot. So, um, so this morning, right, so the Trinity in general is an essential doctrine to the faith. It is one of those doctrines that, yes, is, a little, is difficult, it is mysterious, but it is also clear. So it is taught implicitly throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and it makes up who God is as God. It separates Christianity from every religion in the world, and it is so profound that there's really no real way to explain how it works, okay? Um, I will explain it uh, to the best of my ability, and uh, we'll go through that in a second, but uh, one of the things I do want to say is a lot of times analogies are used. Analogies, I like analogies a lot, and they're helpful. However, when people use analogies with the Trinity, it, it never works, and I'm using never pretty strongly there. I don't know of one that has ever worked. There's a lot of them that go around and that are kind of helpful, but if you really think about it, all it really does is show a heresy that came up in the church years ago. So we have to be careful with that. So I'm not, I won't be using analogies to try and teach the Trinity in this case. So I'm going to try to stay so with some basic truths that we're going to get to in a moment, and then we're going to go from there. So the overall goal this morning, at least the goal that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart, is to show three practical ways to teach the Trinity in a way that shows three practical ways the Trinity influences our life every day. So that's kind of the angle or the, the lens, so to speak, that I hope to teach to the Trinity this morning. So I'm not so much covering and trying to prove to you the Trinity exists. I'm kind of assuming the vast majority of you already agree and understand that. We will start with a definition there, but hopefully we'll show you how that plays out in our lives every day and affects us because it does in some, I think, prof pretty profound ways. So 
three basic truths. We are going to start with kind of some basic, the basic truths of the Trinity, just to kind of give a foundation to start with. And then from there, we're going to move into those three practical ways. So the first one, first truth, there is one God. Okay, there's one God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. So it is clear throughout Scripture there is one God. Okay, that's the first point. Second, there are three distinct persons. Three distinct persons, one God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Third point, each person is fully God. Okay, one God, three persons, each person is fully God. So anytime you read about the Trinity or study the Trinity or hear somebody teach on the Trinity, these are the three basic truths that are clear that are clear in Scripture that you have to basically hold up as kind of a measuring stick of making sure that it holds. Okay, so if we start where you get in trouble, especially with analogies, is trying to explain how that works. Okay, we can explain the economy of how the Trinity relates to each other and how that affects us, which is what I hope to do. But how this is possible is not explained in Scripture, nor can we understand it because we are finite human beings. This is an infinite God that we are talking about and an infinite doctrine that God has revealed to us, but there is a limited view of what he has shown us and what we can understand as human beings. Does that make sense? So, three basic truths. I think they're all going to be up there together. And then Wayne Grudem puts it this way. He kind of brings these three truths together in this kind of one sentence. It says this. I think it'll be on the screen. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God. And this is one God. Okay? That's, that's the starting point for the Trinity this morning. So, again, I'm not trying to prove the Trinity exists. We can do that at a different point in time. Um, so the goal here this morning is to show how the Trinity affects us. And there's three ways that I'm going to go through every day and hopefully teach to the Trinity and how some of the relational parts of the Trinity work. Okay, so that's, that's the overarching goal here. So, the first one is community. Okay, so I'm kind of using that loosely. What I mean by that, and that we're going to kind of unpack it from a more of a reverse kind of standpoint, is community, right? The way that we interact with one another. As believers and as non-believers, our interactions and relationships are directly affected by the Trinity. It starts with the Trinity and comes down to us and how it works out. Okay, so that's kind of the, the end point, so to speak. So now I want you to take that, sit to the side, and take a step back because now we're gonna work kind of backwards to come back to this, that point. Does that make sense? So we're gonna work, we're gonna, we gotta put our abstract thinking hats on because I'm about to ask some questions and I want you to really think, okay? So um, just being honest, just get ready, okay? Um, at least I think they're abstract to me. I'm not a, that much of an abstract kind of thinker, but so I may say this to you like, that ain't abstract, but for me it is. So anyway, so we're gonna set that to the side for a moment. So here's the question. What was God doing before the foundation of the world? Okay. I want you to sit there and I want you to think about it for a moment. What was God doing before he created anything? All right, so how did you think about that? I'm going to give you two other things to kind of think about as variables in this kind of equation or question that you want to think about. So one of them is before anything was ever created, God as Trinity was the sum total of reality. Okay? He was the sum total of reality before anything was ever created. It was in the beginning, God, and that was it. Okay, so keep that in mind. The next part, we kind of heard about it some last week with Peter, with Peter's sermon on the solitariness of God, and it's a word called aseity. So God's aseity essentially means that he is being, okay? He, he is being, not a being, he is 
being, which, and also kind of to wrap this around, he exists in and of himself, okay? So he exists in and of himself, he is being, and he's a sum total reality. So with those things in mind, right? And we also heard last week that within God's safety, he lacks nothing, okay? So before he ever created the Trinity, God did not lack in anything. They are perfect in themselves. So what was he doing before the foundation of the world? Turn with me to John 17. This is the gospel uh, according to John. Uh, we're going to be in, like I said, chapter 17, which is uh, known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. So this is Jesus praying to the Father uh, shortly before he is um, arrested and taken captive and then will eventually be crucified uh, shortly thereafter. So John 17, we will pick it up in verse 24. John 17, 24. Again, this is Jesus praying. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even, even the world does not know you. I know you and these that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did y'all catch that? So before the foundation of the world, right? You loved me. The Father loved the Son. So before anything was ever created, the Father and his abundance and overflowing love for the Son was in the Spirit. So as they were, the, again, some total reality before anything was created, right? The Trinity was perfect in themselves before anything was created. So what were they doing? The Father was loving the Son, and the Son was reflecting that love back to the Father and we have what we call the Trinity, the three distinct persons that's one God. They were perfect in themselves, and their love was reflected back and forth together perfectly, and it was out of that overflow of the love of the Father, as Psalm 136 tells us, out of the overflow of his steadfast love that God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Out of the overflow of the love for the Son, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So before the foundation of the world, before anything was ever started, the Trinity enjoyed perfect communion with one another in their relationships together and in the Father's abounding, abundance of love for the Son and the Son's reflecting love back to the Father in the Spirit. That is what God was doing before the foundation of the world, and it was out of that overflow of that love that everything was created, and then here we are. So, where John says in 1 John that God is love, I'm sure all of us have probably heard that. If you haven't, God is love. That is only possible because God is Trinity. God is love because God is Trinity. There is no other way for God to be love if it wasn't Trinity. If God was by himself and there was no other, it was just God, there's no way for him to be love. There's nothing for him to to love before anything was ever created, which means he would lack something, which means he would be a pretty petty God that nobody would want to worship. God is love because God is Trinity. Now, another thing. So, how so we're going to start trickling this down to us, right? So, Matt, this should be on the screen. We're going to look at this. You've probably seen this text before. It's the greatest, the great commandment, right? They asked Jesus what the great commandment is. We're about to read it. This idea of tr the Trinity and their love for one another comes down and gives this a deeper meaning, which I will explain shortly. I think it should be on the screen. 
It's Matthew 22, 35. Uh, Jesus is speaking with Pharisees, and one of them, we see in verse 35, comes up. So Matthew 22, 35, again, it should be on the screen. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of us have probably heard this text at some point, whether we've heard it, whether we've read it. It's probably fairly, somewhat familiar, right? The great commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Jesus comes in and tells us that, right? But how does this, how does this come into the Trinity, right? The love of God is the mark of a true born-again believer because it requires an act of the Holy Spirit, here it is, to bring us into the Trinitarian love of God. In some way, that is the case. When we become believers, when we, when we put our faith in Christ, that he is the Son of God that came, he lived the perfect life, he died on the cross for our sin and atoned for our sin, and then was raised to walk on the third day in glory, and then ascended to the Father. We place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes down to us, right, as our sealed inheritance. We are then brought into this love. How does that work? Look back, I hope you're still in John. John, back to our text in John 17. I want you to look at verse 26, and hopefully these two will connect, um, and I will make that point. So still, we're going back to John 17, 26, where we were a moment ago, and it says this, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Look at that again. That, I will continue to make it known, the name of the Father, that, or you think, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see the pattern. The Father, right? So let's take a step back with our abstract. The Father's love for the Son before the foundation of the world, and out of that overflow, He created the heavens and the earth. In that love, the, fa- the Son came down incarnate to us, which we'll get to in a minute, to make a way for us to be reconciled back to the Father. So the Son here is what Jesus is saying in John 17, that we are brought into this love of the Father through Christ. So it's the pattern. God, the Father's love goes to the Son. The Son's love goes to us, and we are brought into this Trinitarian love in some way. And then what? Back to our text in Matthew, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So then we, as the believers, are called to share the love of the Father and love of the Son with those around us as we love our neighbor as yourself. And that is only possible because God is Trinity. Does that make sense? We are brought into this Trinitarian love. And so when Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, there's a deeper underlying meaning that comes from God as Trinity and trickles down into that same verse. Just as God tells us to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength first, and then love the neighbor as yourself. We are brought into this communion with the Father as believers in some way. I'm not going past that. <laughs> By any means, stop there. I don't know how it works. But it is clear, I think, in Scripture that that is the case, that we are brought into this Trinitarian love in some way through the Spirit and Christ. So... We are called to pattern that same love and the outpouring to others and those around us. We are called to live in community and then the Trinity directly affects our relationships, how we interact with one another and with non-believers as well, with anyone we're around. So some of the 
kind of practical applications of this, right? Which one of the things to do is you can get involved in a missional community if you're not already. And I'm going to be missional communities, community in general. Not, not like none of us are perfect, right? We're all still sinners. The Trinity is, they are perfect. So their relationships are together, the three distinct persons that makes one God are all perfect together. We are not, but right, we're still called to do this. We're still called to live in community with one another. Christ and the Father, all of them designed the church in a way that all of us help and guide and lead and love one another to sustain us to the end as believers, to make it to the end and persevere in community, in our relationships to one another, which directly comes from God as Trinity. Some of the other ways to do this, right, is to just invite people into your lives. Come over to eat dinner, go eat lunch with people after church or whatever, like during the week. Invite people you work with into your life. Get to know them. Ask questions that are beyond the small talk. Like we, we all small talk, and that's good. We get to know each other, but go deeper and ask deeper questions. How, how are people actually doing? Like as we relate to one another, as we live in community, Go talk to people that you don't really relate to that sometimes it's kind of difficult to have common ground, but go show that you care and you want to talk to them and get to know them. Like th basic things like this helps influence the way that we go and interact with one another because, again, God is Trinity and we are brought into this community or communion that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit represent. And that trickles down to us. So, so, that, so, as we, so we're transitioning now to... The word. That's the second one. The second point of how this affects our life is the word. So in other words, right, this comes to this question, can we really know God? Right? Can we know God? Can we understand the Trinity? Come to these questions. Dr. Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary, says we can we can know God, or we cannot we cannot know God fully, but we can know him truly. We cannot know God fully in a fullest sense of the word, like in his fullness, but we can know him truly, because God, as we read in Hebrews one, we'll read again sent his son. We have the scripture. So we're going to kind of, um, again, so we're starting there and we're going to unpack it kind of like we did the previous one. So turn with me, uh, if you're in John already, to John chapter 1. So we're putting it on rewind and going back 17 chapters. I like, you know, those VHS tapes that we used to have that hit rewind, you had to sit there and wait. They're watching the Goldbergs lately and they have VHS so that's why it's in my mind. Otherwise, I don't think about VHS tapes because those are old as dirt and DVDs are, DVDs are old, really. You can stream stuff now. But isn't that great? I have to rewind. All right, anyway, John chapter 1. So uh, before we read, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read verse 1 and 2, and then I want you to quickly look down to verse 14, and we're going to continue. So to save reading 25 verses, we're going to read 1 and 2 and then go to 14. So... John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and he, he was in the beginning with God. Now look down at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There's a lot happening in this first chapter of John, but the big point is in verse 14, right? The word became flesh. 
So Christ, the Son of God, came down to us in the flesh, was born of virgin, virgin birth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin, atoned for our sin, and was raised to walk on the third day. It is by placing our faith in him that we are saved, right? So this is very profound, right? The, the God, the Son, came down to us, came to us so that we could know him and love him and be brought back into the family of God that was, we were cut off from in Genesis 3. So Jesus is fully God and fully man, one person with two natures. Jesus is fully God and fully man, one person with two natures, okay? We can know God because God came to us, right? He came down to us, as we saw in Hebrews 1, and we're going to read that again. He came to us, and we can know him. The Father sent the Son to manifest his glory to his people, extend his love for the Son to us, and to make a way for us to know him, know, to know, love, and glorify him forever. The Word became flesh. Hebrews 1, you don't have to turn there because I think we're going to stay here, but Hebrews 1 should be back up on the screen. We're going to read it one more time, but in a shorter version. So Hebrews 1, 1, yeah, there it is, says this, Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God spoke through the prophets in the past. God moved in the, what we call the Old Testament all the way through. Christ came, right? The Son of God came in the Gospels. The apostles went out and wrote the New Testament. Everything that God has done throughout and ever, I guess, so throughout the entirety of Genesis to Revelation, right? The Holy Spirit breathed out and inspired the scriptures. It was all documented for us in the word. So yes, Christ came in the flesh to reveal to us and to speak to us. The Holy Spirit then came and inspired and wrote and documented and recorded everything. So turn, this is where I want you to turn. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we're going to look at this on the Holy Spirit's work in preserving, recording, and inspiring the Holy Scriptures so that we can know and love God in this way as Trinity. Second, uh, second Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul writing to Timothy for the second and final time. Uh, we're in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with, with, with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every good work. Notice where it says all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God, right? All scripture. And so here, here when it says sacred writings, it's specifically in this case referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament was still being written. But through other scriptures and various other means, we know that this also refers to the New Testament as well. So it covers the entire, what we call a canon of scripture. But, so just with that being said, so God breathed out all scriptures, right? It is literally God breathed. God breathed life into it. Another way to think about this is the whole, it's the Holy Spirit. When this 
term is used, breathed out, the Holy Spirit inspired, recorded, and preserved the scriptures. So everything that God has done in eternity has been recorded for us, at least from when he created everything, for us to know and love him in his special revelation. And that is possible because God is Trinity. The way that we know, interact, and love God and have a relationship with him is only possible because God is Trinity. Next point with the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit inspired all the scriptures, recorded and preserved it. We just saw at the end of Luke, when we finished Luke, in Luke 24, we see Jesus say it twice, and in John 5 as well, that all the scriptures point to Christ. Everything in scripture, the entire story of redemption, the entire Old Testament, all points to Christ in some way. Christ is at the center, and the Holy Spirit preserved the scriptures for us to see and know that and be able to go out and proclaim his great name so that people, we can repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, this is all possible because of the Trinity. And the relationship or the economy, you could say, of the Trinity, it makes this possible for us to know, love, and love, know and love God. Christ is at the center of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit preserved, inspired, and recorded. The entire Old Testament is longing for and looking to Christ. Christ has come, and he will surely return in glory. At the proper time, we know all of this because God sent the Holy Spirit to inspire, record, preserve the word of God so that we can know and love him. The Trinity makes this all possible in the way that God has done it for us to know and love him. So all of us want to hear from God, right? All of us, if we sat down, we're like, oh, yeah, I want to hear from God. Like, I wish he would speak. I wish I could ask him a question or I wish I could know something. And that's very fair and I feel you. But God has spoken in his word and has been recorded everything that we, he wants us to know about him so that we can know and love him and live life to glorify him and all that we do is written and been recorded and preserved in the Holy Scriptures, which is the very word of God. And that is God breathed as we see in Second Timothy. So I'll ask you another question. How many of you would go a day without eating food? About a week, two weeks, a month two months, six months, a year. Probably not many of us, right? What would, happen, what would happen if we did and if we just stopped eating food? The end result, we'd starve to death and die, right? You know, that's kind of the, the ultimate end. Um, before that, though, we would be malnourished and sick, right? We, we, we would get sick, we would get malnourished, we would start to have side effects and symptoms. So just as we, if we neglect to read the Word of God and to cherish it, to feast on it, as it is food, right, we become spiritually sick, spiritually malnourished. Just as you get a cold and you get sick, you get, you know, your nose runs, your throat hurts, whatever, you have symptoms that shows that you have, you have, you're sick and you have something going on. Just as that happens physically, that also happens with us spiritually. What are your symptoms? When you neglect to feast on the word of God and, you, and we get in a rut and it happens to all of us, but when that happens, what are your symptoms? Because I, and if, you're, if you think that you don't have them, it's because you haven't looked at them. I'll give you some, some of mine, when I get this way, I get snippy, sarcastic, I get frustrated easily, I get kind of mean, I can be arrogant, stubborn. So I become kind of a not 
really happy person to be around, right? Like it's not good. And so when I start becoming this way, you can ask, if you're married, ask your spouse what your indicators are, or your symptoms, because they probably know uh, if they really think about it. Um, but anyway, right? So all of us have them. All of us show when we neglect to spend time with God in the word, which happens, life is stressful and things like that. But when that happens, we do get spiritually sick. We do get unhealthy spirit in a spiritual sense. It does affect the way that we live life. It affects our relationships with other people in all these ways. Like the one, some of the ones that I gave you, like nobody wants to be around me or anyone that's like, that those kind of things are coming to the surface, right? Like that's not I, somebody you want to be around. But it happens. And so I, I want to challenge you to reflect and think about what your symptoms are when you, when you don't spend time in the Word and you neglect and you're not feasting, you're not feeding yourself on the Word of God to survive and continue on. Because I know all of us have them. Just as you get a cold and you get all sniffly or whatever, it's the same thing here. It just it manifests itself differently depending on who you are and how, just, yeah, who you are. So I want to encourage you to look, to look for that. We have to, we have to read the Word. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, it gets stressful, life is stressful and busy, but we have to prioritize it. We can prioritize eating a meal, we can also prioritize at least spending a few minutes in the Word every day and in prayer. Because God has revealed himself for us to know and love him, and he has done that because he is Trinity. The Trinity directly affects the way that we know and love God, and it's there for us to know and love him. But we have to do it through his Word. There's no other, I mean... We, can't, we can go see him in nature as general revelation, but we're not going to know him specifically as he's revealed us in Scripture. We have to go to Scripture. So what we do in light of all of this, that's kind of the, going in, as we segue into the last and final point. So we, so far we've talked about the Trinity and how it affects our relationships with one another and how we live in community and also how we know, know love, and interact with God in our relationship with him. So now what do we do? We go. Mission. We go on mission. The third point, because God is Trinity, we go on mission. Because God is Trinity, mission is possible. I can't remember if this is on the screen or not, but John 20, was that on the screen? Because we're about to turn somewhere else, so save. Okay, there it is. We're going to turn somewhere else in a sec. But John 20, Jesus said to them, again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So as we saw earlier with continuing the pattern of sharing the love of Christ with others, just as the Father has loved the Son, we see that pattern, right? So too, we also see the pattern here. God isn't chilling up in heaven, you know, in his lounge chair eating popcorn, like, hey guys, go, y'all go do this thing. Whenever it's done, let me know. It's not what he's doing. He's directly involved in the preservation and the governance of, every, of all things. And God sent his son to us to make a way for us to be reconciled back to him. God is an active God. God is a sending God. So because, again, Trinity, because God is a sending God and sent his son to us, so too Christ, as we see here in this passage, is also sending us out to the nations, to our neighbors, to the next door, to share the love of Christ and to share the gospel with them. We can go because Christ came and made it all possible because, again, God is Trinity. All right, so turn with me to Matthew 28. This is the text I was alluding to earlier. Matthew 28, verse 18. I'm sure you've probably all read it before, right? 
the, it's called the Great Commission, or it's known as the Great Commission. So these are kind of the final, you could say, marching orders, so to speak, that Christ gave the disciples, or the, about to be the apostles, uh, before he ascended into heaven, right? So these last, uh, last words are lasting words. Right? A lot of people say things like that. This is what Jesus left us with, so it's pretty important. And it's also a Trinitarian text, if you want to use that, that kind of term. So Matthew 28, 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We go because Christ came. He is sending us out. Notice the grammar before we kind of dive into this a little more. Notice the grammar right where it says baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's no commas. It's not separating it as it's three three completely separate things, right? They're all together in one cohesive, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Together, three persons in one God, right? They're all sending us out and we baptize in their name. Again, we go because Christ came. One God, three distinct persons. God is active in the spread of the gospel to the nations. He hasn't left us alone. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, and he is going to be with us always to the end of the age. As we saw in our text in John earlier, Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you've placed your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling and living within you. When we go out to share, whether it's to the far regions of the earth or whether it's down the road or at Zaxby's here in about half an hour, whatever it is, this Holy Spirit is with you at all times. And Christ is in control. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. It just says God is ascending God and sent Christ to us. So too we go out and proclaim his great name to the nations and to our neighbor and to everyone around us. Again, we go because God is trinity so take heart because again all authority on heaven and on earth has been given that is as scary as it is to share the gospel a lot of times as scary as it is to go to the nations and things like this again we always come back to this text and know that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Christ and he is not leaving us he has given us the spirit so again application right so Living on mission, we kind of throw around. So yes, the, the Great Commission, as we just read, is saying go to the nations, and we absolutely must go to the nations and spread the gospel to all people groups. Because in Revelation, as we see, all, nation, all people groups, all languages, uh, I can't quote again, totally blanking. Anyway, all people groups will be in the throne room worshiping the Father, okay? Everyone. So we are commissioned to go to the nations. But also a part, a part of this is still to go next door. We, if we can't share the gospel in our own context here in America where we live and have lived probably our whole life, we're, we're going to really struggle to do that overseas and probably not be able to. We have to be able to do it here too. So the Great Commission applies in our local context, our national context, and to the nations where we are called to go and play a part in. Again, so part of that living on mission in our context here is aimed, if we aim to put Christ at the center, as we talked about two weeks ago, beholding the glory of the Lord, right? Putting God at the center and focusing on him at all times, we are transformed into the image of Christ. When we do this, when we put Christ at the center, 
then all the basic life questions that we ask, like what house to buy, should we buy a house, should we, what career to do, what major, should we retire, when should we retire, how do we raise our kids, all these basic questions, right, become so much simpler on some levels if Christ is at the center and he's influencing all of these decisions that we make to how to live on mission, how to budget our money for the glory of God and for the mission of God, how to spend our money in that regard, giving, all of these things come into focus as we want to live on mission. We put Christ at the center. We focus in on him. Spirit's doing work in us, right, as we go out. So as we kind of land the plane, right, the Trinity influences everything we do, and it is an essential doctrine of our faith. The way we live and interact with one another, the way we know and love God, and the way we go in obedience to Christ are all heavily influenced by our great Trinitarian God, our triune God, if you want to use it that way. The Trinity affects everything, and it is essential to the faith. It is essential to who God is. And it plays out in a lot more ways than what we cover today in this relatively short, I don't know how long I've been going, sermon. But hopefully those are three practical ways that the Trinity affects us and influences our life every day. And I encourage you to dig in and dive into this because this is all this stuff here has blown my mind all week. So hopefully that helped you in your walk. Um, but there's so much more to, to this doctrine that I would like for you to study. But So as we uh, wrap it up, we're about to take communion as the band comes up. Uh, this is a, a great time, too, as we break the bread that represents Christ's flesh and dip it into the juice that represents Christ's blood that was spilled on the cross for our sin, uh, that he was raised to walk again on the third day. That as we break the bread and just reflect on God, on the Trinity, as we have discussed this morning, uh, that we just behold the glory of God, that we will lift him up, that we will just stand in awe of him and who he is and lift him up. And then as we do that, again, be transformed into the image of Christ. So I just want to encourage you to do that. And if, if you're a non-believer here, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, but I, we do respectfully ask that you, um, you know, allow us as believers to partake in communion at this time. Um, we'd love to talk to you in the back if you have questions. Um, and so let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for this time we've been able to come together and study your word. Father, I pray that you'll help us uh, see and understand the Trinity and how that affects our everyday life. And just the importance of the fact that you are a triune God, that you are not alone, but that you are one God and three distinct persons, each person being fully God. Father, I pray that you will help us just internalize this, to bring this into focus. And I pray that um, all of these things, the scriptures that we read, the things that we discussed, I just pray, Father, that you will help us you know, just use this to behold the glory of you, the glory of God. And we behold the glory of the Lord and lift you up and, do, and as we go out today, that we will honor and glorify you in all that we do and be transformed into the image of Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.